0: <laughs> All right, I will be um, doing the scripture reading this morning. I'll be reading from the Book of John, third chapter, verses one through twenty-one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, "Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, for, uh, that you are a teacher come from God." Nicodemus said to him how can these things how can these things be Jesus answered him are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things truly truly I say to you we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. The reading of the word.
1: Thanks be to God. Psalm 24 begins like this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may climb his mountain? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. If we want to grow as disciples of Jesus and be the kind of people that God created us to be, then we must have clean hands and a pure heart. What does it mean to be pure? It means without defect. It means without spot or blemish. It means being flawless it's really surprising isn't it that God would require something so great of us to be pure and blameless but if we think about it is it really surprising I mean God reveals himself to us as holy 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 so why do we think we could come into his presence why do we think we could come into God's presence with unclean hands and with impure hearts I mean who do we think we are to come into God's presence impure. Have y'all heard of the milk crate challenge? Raise your hand if you heard of the milk crate challenge. It's apparently been banned now on TikTok and social media. You see, some of y'all don't know. But what the milk crate, y'all know what a milk crate is. It's this little uh, cube crate that they used to put milk cartons in. And so, the milk crate challenge, like every other stupid thing on the internet, involves setting up milk crates in this pyramid, and you have to start on one side, and you have to climb all the way to the top, and all the way down on the other side. Sounds easy enough, right? Here's the thing, you have to be very, very balanced. You have to have pure balance. Your balance has to be so good. That, if you, that you, can't, you can't move at all. The moment you twitch, it's over. And look at what happens. This is why it's banned. Because people are literally going to the ER and taking the, the place of COVID patients because they're breaking arms and breaking legs and busting their heads and breaking their backs. It's crazy, right? To try to ascend the hill of the milk crates. With a pure balance. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Well, brothers and sisters, today's message is about how you get a pure heart. Today's message is about how you get clean hands. Today's message is about how we can ascend the hill of the Lord. Today's message is about how you can meet holy, holy, holy God and not break your back, and not break your heart, and not end up in hell. Today's message is about how we get pure. Three challenges. Number one, stop pretending that you're okay. Number two, set your eyes on Jesus. And number three, step into the light. Number one, stop pretending you're okay. Gary asked me yesterday, how you doing? And I replied, fine. (laughs) I replied, fine. And I sent him a meme of uh, someone from an old TV show saying, fine, because he knew that wasn't the case. It was kind of a joke. But how are you doing? Fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine why do we always feel like we have to project this image that we're okay that we're fine that everything's good why are we not even honest with ourselves about what's really going on you know sometimes the truth comes crashing down in our lives sometimes like the milk crate challenge the truth that you're not actually okay comes crashing down into your life and that is what happened to me this week That is what happened to me this week and I'm going to share with you what happened to me this week. Last Sunday uh, we had a number of college students who came to church which was really exciting. We've all been praying for them, laboring for college students to come, seeking to connect with them and I was really glad they were here. It was exciting to see them in the room. And so as I began my sermon, about 10 minutes in, a group of at least five college students got up and walked out. They got up and walked out and I assumed they were heading to the CAF for lunch. You know, they gotta get there early to get to the CAF. But I found out later that wasn't it. I found out later they were bored with my preaching. I found out later that the way I was communicating was not engaging them. I found out later that basically they were rejecting me. Now I didn't take it that way at first and and, uh, Esther and Joel came up after the service and tried to encourage me and say, you know, don't worry about it they're just being immature this and that but as time went on it weighed on me. It's hard not to take that personally. I began to think about all the ways that I could have been more engaging. I began to think about the ways that I hadn't given my best effort in preaching. On Monday and Tuesday, there was this weight that I was carrying around with me. And I I tried not to think about it. I tried to push it to the side. I tried to ignore the feeling. I tried to tell myself it wasn't my fault. I tried to ignore it. But by Wednesday, y'all, I was not in a good place emotionally, not in a good place spiritually. And like the milk crate challenge, it all came crashing down on Wednesday, and I'm telling you this, you would never know looking at my Facebook profile, but it all came crashing down. I was hurting. I was really hurting. Thankfully, God is merciful. Thankfully, God is faithful. Thankfully, God has given me good friends and a good wife and the Holy Spirit to remind me of his grace. God was using this incident on Sunday to make me pure. But maybe not in the way you would expect. Here's what God showed me. Here's what God showed me. During the pandemic, for a year and a half now, a year and a half now, there's a hurricane today, y'all. On the day of Katrina, there is a hurricane happening today. I mean, this world is, is wrecked, right? And we all experience it. And I've experienced it too, but here's the thing. I thought I was okay I thought that I could keep all the balls in my life all the balls of ministry juggling in the air and I was under the illusion that I was the one keeping them in the air and maybe you can relate to that Uh, maybe you feel like you've got a lot of balls in the air maybe you can feel like you're walking up that mountain of milk crates and it begins to to totter my problem wasn't my preaching. My problem was that I thought I was self-sufficient. Because even my best preaching, which you've only probably heard like three times, <laughs> my, even my best preaching has many impurities, has many problems, has many ways that it could be improved. My best efforts. And Sunday wasn't my best effort. But God showed me that even my best effort will fail. Even my best effort in school, even my best effort in a relationship, even my best effort to get on God's good side will fail. My problem was self-sufficiency. Nicodemus came up to Jesus and said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him and said, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Look, that hit me this week. Are you the teacher of New City and you don't understand these things? That you're not that you're self-sufficient, that you need to lean on me? That your preaching is not your righteousness? Like Nicodemus, I was leaning on my own understanding. I, I was trying to keep up my appearances, not knowing it, not trusting in God for my life and for my ministry, for my family, you name it. When you start crumbling, when, those, when all those crates start going, all the crates go, right? I mean, I mean you st- everything just falls apart. That's happened to you. I know it's happened to some of you. It happened to me on Wednesday. We need to stop pretending we're not okay. We need to stop pretending we're not okay look at what Jesus says in verse 5 Jesus answered and said truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit that means unless you are reborn from the outside spiritually not just of the flesh but reborn of water and spirit Cleansed, reborn, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you remember our confession of sin today? All of these sins that we're all guilty of in some way. What does it say? If you do these things, you what? Cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, that's it. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He says, that which is flesh. Is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. He says, "Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again." The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. See, God catches us in, off, off guard. He catches us; he surprises us with his with his with his grace. We didn't even know it was coming. I didn't know it was co- Sunday morning. I had no idea that God was going to wreck me this week. Even our best efforts will fall short of God's purity, of God's good and righteous standard. But we keep trying to get better. We keep trying to do better. But Jesus says, nah, you need a completely new life. You need a completely new life. You need to be reborn. You need to be reborn. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is already condemned, already condemned. And doesn't that make a lot of sense of this world we live in, where condemnation is everywhere? I mean, apart from God, apart from God's grace, you you will be condemned over and over and over, condemned. We don't need just a little bit of religion to make our lives better. We don't need just a little bit of church to round out our already pretty darn good lives. We don't need a a little bit of prayer here and there so God will give us what we want. No, you need a new birth. You need to be born again. Because we're born into this world already condemned. Real talk, humanity is fallen without hope, judged, you are a moral failure, a wreck, and you don't even know it. You are not holy, you are not pure, you are not able to even become right on your own efforts. And look, we try, don't we? We try to do better. We try to rise up, but God says, you got to be born again. The danger is when we think we can. And it often takes something like pain or failure or rejection to bring us to our knees. I wish it didn't take that. But that's what happened to me on Sunday. But God's grace showed me my insufficiency. Why? Because God wants me to come back to Him. God wants me to come back and place my sufficiency where it ought to be in Him, not in my performance. God's grace is pulling on some of you right now because you know you're insufficient. And you're tired of playing the game. You're tired of putting on a front. And God's calling to you right now and saying, come back to me. Believe in me. Be born again. Be renewed in your new life. Some of you are already Christians. I'm already a Christian. I didn't get saved this week, but I got reminded that I got saved. But I got reminded that my life is not in me, my life is in Christ? The second challenge, the first challenge is stop pretending you're okay. The second challenge is set your eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 13. No man, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. There it is. He didn't send his Son into the world to condemn us, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who has ascended? what does Jesus say? Who has ascended? Verse 13. No one. No one has ascended. No one except the Son of Man. Wow. And he's not arrogant saying that, he's just saying, he's just telling the truth. No one has ascended except the Son of Man and so we should set our eyes on Jesus because he's the one who's done it he's the one who has ascended Uh, uh, Jesus alludes to the story in the Old Testament verse 14 that that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness it's referencing a, a story found in Numbers chapter 21 where God's chosen people were becoming impatient on their journey to the promised land I mean God had rescued them out of slavery and they are on their way to the promised land. And God's people, even though God had done so much for them, they were complaining. They were crying. They were weeping. They were like, this is bad. We hate our lives. Just kill us now, God. Why have you brought us out here? They're complaining. Do you complain? I do. <laughs> They're complaining, and so, and so God, in His mercy, let loose a mob of serpents, uh, fiery serpents, meaning poisonous snakes, into the camp and people were left dying, left and right, left and right. These serpents were coming into the camp and, 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 and God's people cried out to him, we have sinned. God we've sinned, we've blown it, we've sinned. Please take the serpents away. But God doesn't take the serpents away. He doesn't remove the judgment. What he does is he tells Moses to craft a bronze serpent and to set it up on a pole so that everyone that sets their eyes on the serpent everyone that sets their eyes on that that picture that God put before them that image that God put before them would immediately be saved they would be healed what did they have to do run from the serpents what did they have to do heal themselves No, what they did is they just looked at God's promise. They just looked at what God, they had to believe in their heart that God's word was true, that if they set their eyes on that bronze serpent, they would be saved. Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and he looks at you and me, and he says, that's me. I'm the one who's going to be lifted up. If you really want to be pure, if you really want to be healed, if you really want to know God, look to me. Set your eyes on Jesus. God is not like us. God is not like us. We make people pay for their sins. Some of you have a roommate that did you wrong and and you still give them the cold shoulder. Some of you have a spouse that did something you didn't like years ago and you still bring it up. We make people pay for their sins. We crucify people every day on social media in our thoughts because of their stupid decisions. And we judge them and we condemn them. That's what we do. That's what we do. We judge people, but that's not what God does. God gives grace. God set up a way for us to be rescued from that condemnation, and it's through Jesus. He sent His only Son to this world, for God loved the world in this way. He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever looks to Him, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's what we think. We think God is out there to condemn you, to punch you in the face. But God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." Brothers and sisters, God doesn't leave us condemned. He doesn't leave us rejected. He doesn't leave us dying of fiery serpents. He sent Jesus to rescue us, not just to get saved but to live saved. Because only Jesus is pure. No one. But what are we seeing? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and nothing means nothing. Right? It doesn't mean your best efforts. It means nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only Jesus ascended to heaven. Only Jesus was lifted up on the cross to receive our punishment. To take the snake bite for us. I mean, the symbol is the judgment, right? The, the bronze serpent is the judgment. The cross is the judgment. And Jesus was lifted up on the cross, the symbol of God's judgment. Why? So that our sin could be paid for. You want to be forgiven? Man, what does it feel like to actually be forgiven? Set your eyes on Jesus. You want to be become a good man or a good woman or a good boy or a good girl, set your eyes on Jesus. You want to get rid of the shame you feel? Set your eyes on Jesus. You want to experience life and freedom? Set your eyes on Jesus. You want to be loved like never before? Set your eyes on Jesus. You want to change your bad habits? Set your eyes on Jesus. You want to stop being self-sufficient? Set your eyes on Jesus, brothers and sisters. It's crazy, but, amen, but lots of people continue to die of snake bite. The bronze serpent is right there, but lots of people would not believe that something so incredible could actually be true. God would actually make a way for me and all I have to do is believe. So many of us go throughout our lives saying, no, I'm going to do better. No, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstrap. And God says, just look. Just set your eyes on Jesus. He's right there. He took your condemnation. He took your judgment. He took all of it on himself so that you could be freed. Verse 19 says, this is the judgment. Oh, this hurts. This is the judgment, the light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. God so loved the world, but people so loved the darkness. There's two loves, God loves the world and people love darkness. Look at Nicodemus. Look at this teacher of the law who Jesus took to school. Look back at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by He came to Jesus by night this detail is important He comes to Jesus at night why because he loves darkness because we all love darkness. We all don't want to be exposed. None of us want to have our sins put on display. I don't want to preach a sermon where I tell you my failure this week. Did Nicodemus fear being judged? Was he ashamed of his questions? I love that Jesus met him there. Jesus didn't say, ah, oh, Nicodemus, come on back in the day, brother. Now he said, okay, come on at night. Come on at night, let's talk. I love that Jesus met him there in the darkness, in the middle of his fear, in the middle of his shame, in the middle of his questions, that's where God met him, and that's where God will meet you. God will meet you in the darkness. He doesn't say, hey, come to the light. No, Jesus goes into your darkness. He goes into those moments of desperation. He goes into those moments of shame and punishment and difficulty. He goes into it, and he meets you there, and he says, ask me anything. But I'm gonna tell you the truth, stop pretending you're okay, set your eyes on Jesus, and then step into the light, and then step into the light. Verse 20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See that? Not in his own effort. But the light lets us see that it's actually God doing the thing. It's God being a good mom. It's God being a good teacher. It's God being a good preacher. It's God being a good friend. It's God doing the work through us so that when we step into the light, we see that God wants to do all kinds of great things through you. God wants to do all kinds of great things through you. A couple nights ago, Laurie and I, uh, our refrigerator went out this week on top of everything else. (laughs) Our refrigerator went out, and so thankfully we have a backup refrigerator down under our house. And so we're carrying things down to the refrigerator downstairs under the, it's like a crawl space. And so as we walked into the workshop under the house, we flipped on the light, and I'm I'm telling you, there were at least a dozen roaches that just scattered. And we were like tiptoeing like we were some kind of ballerinas, you know, just tiptoeing around like it was freaky, y'all. I mean, Laurie and I both screamed like little girls. Because when the light comes on, it reveals all of our blemishes. When the light comes on, it reveals all of the hidden things that are there in the dark that we don't want to admit are really there, like cockroaches in Orangeburg, South Carolina. It's embarrassing. It's ugly. It's painful. It's necessary. Step into the light. I feel like that's what happened to me last week when those students walked out. It was a light that revealed my pride, my self-sufficiency, my lack of faith. It wasn't about my preaching. That's not really what it was about. It was about not trusting Christ. What about you? Have you ever realized that you're not okay? Have you ever been willing to admit it? Have you set your eyes on Jesus for your hope? For your, for your rescue? Have you looked to him? Have you believed that what he did for you by taking your punishment was real? Once for all time, that he set, he, he set his eyes on you before the creation of the world and loved you? And he came and gave his life for you? Have you stepped into the light? Are you willing to turn on the light and, and admit the things that are going on in your life that are like cockroaches in the dark? God God drags us into the light sometimes. Especially those that are his children. Come on in the light. Oh my eyes, oh, I can't see. How do we begin? 3 quick applications. How do we begin? Number 1, think about Nicodemus. He went to Jesus with his questions. You don't have to have it all figured out. You have questions. I do too, Jesus has answers, but you gotta go to him in the cover of darkness and ask him your questions. You gotta lay down your pride, you gotta walk humbly in a sense, right, uh, to, to, to ask Jesus your questions. So go to Jesus, you can do it right now. You, you can sit here during the last song and you can go to Jesus from anywhere. Because he who descended is also ascended. See, Jesus made it to the top of the mountain of the Lord, and he's in heaven now, listening, ready, interceding for us, going to bat for us before the Father. And so we can come to him, we can ask him our honest questions, and he will answer you. Go to him in prayer. Tell him that you don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. Okay, let's talk about it. Go to him with your questions. That's number one. Number two, listen to what he says. See, Nicodemus had a choice. He went to Jesus, but he, I'm sure he didn't exactly like what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, you're not it, Nicodemus. I mean, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Pharisees. He had some notoriety. He had, some, uh, he had a much bigger crowd than this. And he had, he had reached great heights religiously. I mean, he was T.D. Jakes. And, and, and Jesus says, that doesn't mean a thing. You must be born again. Wait, what? You're saying I gotta humble myself? I gotta go back to the beginning? It didn't make any sense, but y'all, there's good news. Nicodemus comes up again and again in scripture. You know what, he, he defended Jesus before the Pharisees. Y'all, <laughs> he came into the light. He defended Jesus in front of the Pharisees. You know what else? After Jesus was buried, Nicodemus came and gave gifts to to, to help bury Jesus. Nicodemus got it, y'all. He came at night. He didn't know what he was doing, but he believed. And he was changed. He was born again. And he lived that way. It's such good news. But he had to listen to what Jesus said. This book, I don't even have a Bible up here. It's on my phone. This book... (laughs) That's on your phone. This book is not an ordinary book. It is God's very word. It is God's very word. The scripture says it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But you have to step into the light. You can't just absorb the Christian faith of others. You have to actually engage with God on your own that goes for my kids who grew up in a Christian home you know I tell them all the time you've got to have a relationship with God you've got to get in the word you know I can't do it for you that's why we're doing growth groups y'all is so that we can help one another listen to what Jesus has to say we can bring our questions and listen to what he has to say in the word so sign up for a growth group go to Jesus with your questions listen to what he says number three get ready Get ready for a new birth. Uh, I'm excited to repent. (laughs) I'm excited to, to, you know, like on Wednesday when God showed me this self-sufficiency, I was excited to say, you're right, God. Like, I have been doing that. How can I lay down all this stuff that I've been trying to carry? How can I lay it down? I'm excited. I feel free. I feel free today. All those things are still there but I feel free because I know that I don't have to carry them. Get ready for a new birth. When we stop trying to be okay by ourselves and we trust Jesus, He actually will change you. He will change you. He will change and expose your sin and your self-sufficiency. He will change your attitude. He will change your actions. He will change your words, your deeds, your thoughts. So stop pretending you're okay. Please, stop pretending. Set your eyes on Jesus and step into the light. Last Sunday, I didn't know how self-sufficient I'd become, but God knew, and he dragged me into the light. I hope he does the same for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, uh, not leaving us in our mess. Lord, I know lots of us right now are feeling condemned. Some of us are feeling like giving up hope. Some of us feel like you have nothing to say to us. God, I pray that you will, you will wreck some lives, that you will get our attention. Oh God, you would have mercy, but you would get our attention. And you would call us back to that, that new life that we have in Christ or that new life that we need in Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would help some here to have faith for the first time. To recognize the poison that's coursing through their veins, killing them, that they would despair of that and look to you who took the condemnation, the judgment on the cross. Lord, will you do that for some people today? And Lord, will you raise us up as your followers, as your disciples? Lord, I pray for this ministry this growth group ministry, that it really would be a way for us all to share the hope that we have in you. To share that good news of John 3.16. And to see people's lives transformed and changed. Lord, do that work in us, we pray. For your glory. Amen.